0: Well, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10. You know, John Calvin once said, we owe to scripture the same reverence that we owe to God. And that's so true. You know, when we gather around this word, we're not just gathering around any word, just like a book of poetry or some story. We're not reading J.R.R. Tolkien. We're sitting under the word of God. God is speaking to us and addressing to us from his word. And here in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, we come to a most precious piece of God's word that if we fail to understand and apply, impacts everything. So let's sit under this word this morning. Verse 38. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its specificity. Oh Lord, would you delight our hearts today as we sit under your word. Jesus, would we hear your voice alone. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you want a title this morning, I've called it Fuel for the Journey. And by now, if you've been following along in the Gospel of Luke, by now you will know that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem and to the cross where he will be giving his life away as a ransom for many. And right now then, as he makes his way to the cross, where he makes his way to give his life as a ransom for many... He is busy training his disciples and coming across along his disciples to help train them for what it's going to look like when he has gone. And so in Luke chapter 9, he tells them to take up their cross daily and follow him. He wants us to understand as his followers that this isn't going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be a jolly for Jesus. There's going to be some things about this that are going to be hard. It's going to cost to actually follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But in Luke chapter 10, immediately on the back of that cost, he wants to help us see, although it costs, it is indeed a great adventure of great joy. There is wonderful joy in following Jesus. Do you know that? It's a happy place to be following Jesus. When you see the pathway that he's called us to follow, the mission that he sent us on, the power with which he equips us to go, and the treasure that we have in it all, namely knowing his smile and knowing that our names are written in the wonderful book of heaven. It is a happy place to know and follow Jesus with all our heart and all our mind. But if we don't get Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 right, none of it works. Because right here, what we are learning about is fuel for this great adventure. What it is that we need to do to be equipped to go in a way that is joyful, that is peaceful, that is a happy place. If we don't get this bit right, chapters 9 and 10 don't really work very well. It's such an important part of the story And to help us see that, Dr. Luke takes us to this small house in Bethany whilst Jesus is en route to Jerusalem, the house of Mary and Martha. And as he enters the house and the story begins to unfold, three things become clear. First up, what becomes clear is Mary's devotion. We see her in verse 39. Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's the life of Mary. Mary was a lady who knew that the most precious thing in any room was Jesus. And she she gave her whole life to just, whenever he was around, she just wants to sit with him. She just wants to sit with Jesus and be with Jesus and listen to his teaching. In effect, listen to his words, just like we get to do today from his word. She is totally besotted with Jesus. The more she finds out about Jesus, the more amazed she becomes. As he begins to tell her more about why he has come and what that all means and who she is before him. The fruit of her time with Jesus, And just a few chapters on from this, is there will be another party hosted by her sister and her brother Lazarus. And she's going to come in and she's going to break an alabaster jar of perfume, an incredibly expensive jar, all over Jesus' head. Just because he is the most precious thing to her. That's the fruit of spending time with Jesus. The more you stop and stare at him, the more amazed you become at him. The more in love you begin to feel with him. That is Mary's example. Mary is devoted to Jesus. But there is another sister in the room that no doubt loves Jesus. But has got distracted. Martha. Martha loves the Lord, but she has got... Distracted. In her specific case, she has got distracted with much serving. Oh, Jesus is here. Wonderful. I better go serve him. So off she goes. Head down, bum up. I'm just going to serve him. I've got to get so many things, so many things done. I've got to help him. She's taken her eyes off the prize and just started getting distracted with a load of other things. And what's the fruit? She is anxious and troubled about many things. Can you relate to that at times in your life? I know I can. Times where I find myself anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious and troubled. It comes to us in numerous forms, does it not? We can get anxious and troubled about our children. Anxious and troubled about relationships. Anxious and troubled about the church. Anxious and troubled about the government. Anxious and troubled about our country. Anxious and troubled about our finances, our job. The list goes on. We can find ourselves anxious and troubled about many things. That's what Martha's like. And So Jesus takes her by the hand and tells her in verse 41, Martha... Martha, Whenever he says your name twice, he's really getting your attention. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The point of the text is not complicated. Jesus wants them and indeed all of us to understand that, listen, if you are going to have fuel for this great adventure... If you're going to have fuel for this great journey of what it is to follow him. If you want to walk through your life not anxious and troubled about many things. But instead at peace and joy and favour with the Lord. There's one thing you've got to choose. And that's to give your life to sitting at the feet of Jesus. To really daily be spending time with him. Because it is him and his words as exhibited by Mary that enables you to be filled with peace and joy and faith for the road ahead, no matter what the storms are doing outside. Now, I'm aware that I have taught on this topic many times. If you've been a part of this church for 11 years, you were be like, oh my gosh, it's the Mary and Martha story again. I get that. So why is it so hard to apply it? Having taught on it so many times... I think you could preach on this and publicly declare it is so important that daily we spend time, we're sitting at Jesus' feet. There is nothing more important. Mm -hmm. So why is it so hard to do it? Why is it such a battle sometimes in our lives? Why is it such a tendency and a temptation to not do that? Well, Sovereign Grace Church, I want to help you see something very important this morning. I want to give you the answer to why it is such a battle to actually sit at the feet of Jesus. And here's the reality. The reality of why it is so hard is because our battle is not against just flesh and blood alone. And in Ephesians 6, Paul makes it very clear. You think your battle's just against flesh and blood? No. It's against principalities and rulers of the power of the air. That also want to influence your life. See Graham Cole. In his wonderful book. Against the Darkness. Says it this way. He says so many Christians in the West. Live as though the story of creation. Involved in the main. Just two characters. God and ourselves. I heard that this week. At the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference. And I thought that is so true. True. It is so easy to live in the West, to live in Australia, as if the story of my life is just two characters. Me and God. Whereas in reality, the scripture tells us, no, there are three characters. You and God and Satan who hates your guts and wants to do all he can to distract you. In the walk of faith wants to do all he can to pull you away from this reality. Jesus addresses this himself when he talks about why he came. He said, Satan came just to seek to kill, rob, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and that in abundance. He's telling us something about what Satan is all about. That's why in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he tells us, listen, this is an address on us. Be sober minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Folks, do you understand that? Are you being watchful? Are you alert? Because our Bible tells us you must be alert. You must be watchful. Because Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for people in our church to devour. You aware of that? Sometimes not. Because we think there's just two characters in my story. Me and Jesus, right? No, there's three. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, It is easy for believers, especially in the Western world, where the church is generally prosperous and respected, to be complacent and become oblivious to the seriousness of the battle around them. They rejoice in victories that involve no battles, and a kind of peace that is merely the absence of conflict. Yet theirs is the victory and peace of the defector who refuses to fight. They're not interested in armour, because they're not engaged in the war. But God gives no deferments or exemptions. Listen, for his people are at war, and will continue to be until Christ returns. Satan is at war with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with you being united with Christ, that means he's at war with you. He hates everything about you, everything you stand for. We are at war with Satan and we will be until Christ returns. And so what that means is Satan in all his power and evil and cunning is doing all he can to employ his weaponry on you to destroy you, to blind you, to tempt you, to accuse the brethren, to devour you and ultimately to take you out. That's why Paul... Exhorts the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 to not be outwitted by Satan and nor be unaware of his schemes. See, sovereign grace, I want you to understand, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be anxious about the devil. For greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. Satan is not afraid of you, okay? So don't don't you know don't get too big for your boots. He's not afraid of you, but he is certainly afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. We don't need to be anxious about Satan, but we do need to be alert. And my observation is sometimes in the West we are not alert. It's almost like Satan doesn't exist. When in reality he does. And unawareness, I think, towards Satan and his works and unawareness to his schemes, I believe, leaves us vulnerable. Vulnerable to his attacks. Vulnerable to his darts. Vulnerable to his schemes. And we're not even getting dressed for war. And his schemes are aplenty. And I've been a pastor, I've had the privilege of being a pastor for 21 years. And... I have discerned in in my experience that Satan in particular, there are two main schemes that consistently run through any culture of the world. The first scheme I submit to you is that Satan will do all he can to separate us from one another. Anything. Why? Well, because the church is the dearest place on earth. And if you stick together long enough, you will spur one another on to love and good deeds. If you stay together, you will fight for one another and enjoy one another and fan things into flame and you will be a city on a hill to all around you. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and take you out. I'm going to try and divide you. You know, the church is the dearest place on earth. It is a happy place. It is the temple of the Lord. It is his body. It is a glorious family before the Lord. But in all reality and in harsh reality... Although it is the dearest place on earth, it is a giant blob of when sinners say, I do, is it not? When we join a church, we bring in all our gifts and all our good stuff, and we bring in all our problems and all that sin. And the harsh reality of that is whether we like it or not, we will be on the end of other people's sin at different times, and sadly, they will be on the end of ours. I'm not boasting about that, I'm not trying, that's not an advert for it, I'm not saying go for it, no! We want to avoid that in every way we can. But I'm just telling you the harsh reality of family life is you will be on the end of other people's sin at different times. And God knows that. And so he prepares us for that in his word. As we sit at the Savior's feet, he makes it very clear what we are to do when we are on the end of other people's sin. Do you realize that? And he gives us two options. Option A is that we are to overlook the offence. Tells us in Proverbs that you should overlook the offence, for that is to your glory. And so that's an option. Another option when we are on the end of people's sin is that we are called to go to our brother in love and tell him his fault in a desire to win him. There are the two options as biblically defined. We're either to overlook the offense or we to go to our brother and tell him their fault in the desire to love them and seek to help them. That's the only two options Jesus gives us. And what do we have a tendency and temptation to do? We go for option C. That doesn't come from Jesus, but comes from Satan. And option C is this. You are offended by their sin, and so harbor it. Don't talk about it to them. Don't overlook it. Harbour it. It's so easy to do. The problem is, it doesn't work. Because you harbour the offence and then you know what happens? You start to get bitter about it. You start to feel really sorry for yourself and you think, this is wrong. And then you feel totally righteous to be telling other people about it. So gossip and slander begins. And you know what comes next? Disunity and division comes next. And all the time, the father of lies, saying himself, looks on at the corner of your life and does this. Because he's already begun his work. He's going to start to split relationships up. Tear people away from one another. Two options, option A, option C, we go for option option B, we go for option C. And Satan loves it. My friends, we must, as a local church, wake up and be aware that that is the scheme of Satan himself to take us out. It should have no place amongst us, it should not be coming out of our mouths. And where we come across it, on the receiving end of it, we should say, listen, in the name of Jesus, please stop is it ain't helping me. And you need to deal with this in light with Jesus. And that ain't to tell me. One of the main schemes of the devil, I believe, is he will do all he can to separate us from one another. And secondarily, and above even that one, is he will, I believe, do all he can to separate us from Jesus. He will do all he can. A lot of weaponry will be pointed towards your relationship with Jesus because he knows if I can disrupt that, if I can stop that, then nothing else matters. I will distract them so much they won't even know if they're a Christian. My friends, that is why we find it so hard to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's why it's so hard. A battle isn't just against flesh. It's not just that, man, I just find it hard to get up in the mornings. No, there's a spiritual battle waging war right there as well. He wants to do all he can to keep you from any conversation with Jesus. Because he knows if you start listening to Jesus, you'll see the truth. He doesn't want you to see the truth. It will change your life. He wants you to be anxious and troubled about many things. He wants you to be confused and disorientated. So I don't want you spending time with Jesus. I want you spending time with yourself. Do you see? It is so easy to be duped. That is why we find it hard to be Mary. And that is why we are more akin to modeling Martha. And getting anxious and troubled about Many things. Well, listen, for the remainder of our time this morning, I wanted to not only expose that reality to you, but I wanted to expose the lies that I think Satan can tell us and can scheme our way on this issue by way of lies that we are tempted to believe and then as a result don't sit at the feet of Jesus. And I want to do this because my experience with lies is when you shine a light on them, they're a bit like cockroaches and they start to run for the hills. You know, it's actually when you turn the light on. I'm sure you've all had that experience before. You go away in a holiday home, you're super excited, you're walking around barefoot in the night, you turn the light on, "Ah!" and then there's all these cockroaches, and then they just run. Well, I think that's what the lies of Satan do as well. And so I want to shine a light on these lies this morning because I do not want anyone under my watch and the watch of this pastoral team to be duped by Satan. We are instructed in scripture not to be naive to his schemes. I don't want any of us to be naive to his schemes. These are lies that are robbing you of joy and peace and blessing in Jesus. I don't want that for you. I'm called to protect you. So here's four lies. That I trust will run like cockroaches from our lives this morning. Here's the first lie that I think Satan wheels. And it's this one. But it just won't do anything. You know that whole thing at the feet of Jesus thing? It, it's good for, you, for others, but it won't do anything for you. You've tried it before. You read Leviticus once. It won't work. You know, this one comes from the pit of hell itself. This is, this is the type of lie that Satan has been peddling since the start of creation. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Satan's words are, but did God actually say that? That's what he's always doing. He's always thinking to twist the truth, distort the truth, disorientate people. Did did he really say that? I'm not sure he really said it quite like that. He's constantly trying to deceive us. Now friends, I want you to understand this idea then that comes in the pit of hell, but it won't just do anything, it just won't do anything, is a lie. Because everything else in the Bible says, it will change your life. I will illustrate. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. The words of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This is what he's like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. How good is that? He's telling us as a fact, listen, you want to be blessed in your life? You want it to go well? You want to be like a man who is stable and durable and refreshed and nourished and fruitful? Wonderful. Meditate on the word of God. Sit at the feet of Jesus. John 15, verses 4 to 5. Jesus himself says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, the words of the Savior could not be clearer. It wanted to go well for you. Listen, understand this. Plan A, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm just going to not spend any time with you and live my life. Why is it not going well for me? Why is it not answering my prayers? Uh, Duh. Uh, It's it's, it's really basic. Plug yourself into the vine. You will feel a peace and a joy and excitement. Leave the vine. You're going to feel out of it. Disorientated, troubled, anxious. He's just told us in Luke chapter 6. I had the privilege of preaching on it about a month or two ago. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me... And hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Listen up. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house, and he could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Do we see the whole idea Then, that it just won't do anything? Jesus is like, no! You want to be like a man that is stable and durable and refreshed and refruitful. You want to be like a man that when COVID lockdown comes, is going to be able to stand firm and strong and not just be tossed to and fro or wiped out? Then build your house on this. Sit on my feet because apart from me you can do nothing. I want to talk to you. I want to help you. I want to tell you the truth. I want you to help you see where I am in your situation. What's really going on in your life? How I'm sovereign over all. Come, I want to talk to you. Do you see? Satan wants to do all he can to pull us away. He just won't do anything. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie from the pit of hell itself. It should have no place amongst us. Another lie that he loves to use is this one, but it's just too hard. You ever heard that one? You're in growth group and you're like, oh, how's your quiet times going? I'm just not having them. It's just too hard. Oh, that's a lie. What do you mean it's too hard? Let me expose why it is a lie. It's a lie because God has given us two means of grace that without doubt make it possible. (laughs) The first means of grace he gives us is himself. (laughs) When you became a Christian, you have been given the mind of Christ. I think the mind of Christ has got this for you. I think he's going to help you in this. In John chapter 14, this is what we read. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth Him, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Listen, and will be in you. For I will not leave you as orphans; I will come to you. What Jesus is saying to us there as his disciples is this: and when you put your faith in me as Lord and Savior, I will not just come and stand by your side; I will come and be in you. My friends, for those of you with children. Have you ever taught your kids about, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, the parting of the Red Sea? Listen, all those stories that we can pass on to our kids, that same power of God now lives in you. In you. We can't then turn around and say, I just find it too hard to have a quiet time. No, the power of the risen Christ lives in you. Jeff Vanderstelt says this about that reality in gospel fluency. He says, we are talking here about the very real and dynamic power of God to create, redeem, and save. The power I'm talking about brought the world into existence. It's the same power that breathed life into dust and formed men. This power struck down the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea so that all Israel could pass through on dry ground. The power we proclaim is the gospel is the same power that was visible on top of Mount Sinai, ablaze with fire that was exerted to conquer Israel's enemies, and that helped David to conquer Goliath with one stone. But this is the power that enabled Jesus to overcome temptation, preach with authority, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, and rise from the dead himself. My friends, this is the power of Christ that lives in you. This is the power of Christ that called the Apostle Paul to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you have called me to it, I know I can do it. I'm not very good of myself, but you are mighty and sovereign, so I can do it. Do not believe the lie of Satan that oh, I was just too hard. You, you won't be able to do it. It's a lie. God has given us himself. And secondarily, by way of a means of grace, God has given us one another. It's beautiful. No wonder, again, Satan puts his pressure on that. See, in the Great Commission that we're all called to, Matthew 28, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen, teaching them to observe All that I've commanded you. Well, that's not just the gospel, is it? That's not just, oh, I preach on the gospel, then they join the church, and then pastors do it, you know? Negative. We're all called to be discipling people all the time. Not only seeing them come into the kingdom of God, but then discipling one another to help us grow in the faith. It's not like you become a Christian, and then you're the fount of all knowledge, is it? You need people to help you. Anybody in this room that is mature in Christ, you have not done it by yourself, have you? People have come alongside you at different points and helped you and discipled you. So listen, if you're somebody that's here this morning and you're like, you know, I just find it hard to read the Bible. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Just put your hand up and ask for help. Because people want to help. Talk to your group leader. Talk to a mature Christian brother or sister. Come and talk to us as pastors. I would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. If you're just saying, I need some help growing and reading the Bible, I would love to help you in that. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. Let me tell you what I do to sit at the feet of Jesus. Just to give you an idea. Here's one option. What I do is I have this ESV Men's Devotional Bible. We have some of them in there. I love it. I find it super helpful. See, I, there are some books of the Bible I'm super familiar with, some books of the Bible I'm less familiar with. And one of the things I love about this Bible is right at the start of each of the books of the Bible, it tells you who wrote it, why they wrote it, what the key themes are, what the key texts are. Ah, that's fantastic when you're reading something like Obadiah, you know, or Ezekiel. It's super helpful to know who wrote this. Why did they? Oh, okay, I see. And so I always read that. There's also devotional pieces in there. There's 365 in there. So when I hit different devotions, I just read them. Let's try and help me understand what's going on here. So I have that. And then I have this, which is a five-day Bible reading program. Excellent. I'm I'm a bit of a like a process guy. Give me somewhere to go with this. This is what I've done this year. Emma's done this this year. It's just been super helpful for us as a family to know. I want to read all the Bible, you know. So where do I start? Where do we begin? And the thing that I love about this one in particular is it's in chronological order. So it starts you with Genesis, but also Mark. And he's making links all the time to help us see. This is how that got worked out in the New Testament. It's fantastic. And so it just takes you through, and you start reading Kings and Chronicles, and it, it's not just a big list, but he starts to help you stop and go, so this is when that prophet then spoke these words. So off you go to the prophet, and you hear these words. You're like, oh, that's so cool, now it makes more sense. I'm going back to Chronicles now. It's super helpful. And so I take this out, and I mark it off each of the days when I do it. I like that it's five days, because then if you're sick, or just have an incredibly difficult day, you don't feel utterly guilty and way behind. You're just like, I can get back on tomorrow, I can keep going. And then for me, I use headphones. I wish my house was quiet enough to have a quiet place. My house is like your house. There's no quiet place. So I have noise-canceling headphones. I'm like the eBay advert. I am. Do you want sushi, Carol? You know, that's me all the time. I've just got my headphones on. And for me, I have an ESV app on my phone. So what I do is I find out what the text I'm in for the day. I turn to the text and then I put the ESV Bible on and it speaks to me. I love it. That's what I do. That's how I spend time with Jesus in my life. Listen, I'm not saying that's what you have to do. I'm just saying if you're just willing to ask people, they might give you some ideas of what you can do. I've printed out over 100 copies of that study guide that I use and put it over there. If you want one at the end, grab one, take one. I am committed to do anything I can to get you in your Bibles. And also I am committed to helping you understand. For you to sit and believe it's just too hard. It's a lie. You're believing a lie. The power of the risen Christ lives in you. And we're all here to help you. Lie three. This is a common one. It's a classic. But I just don't have time. I would love to if my life was different. But I just don't have the time. I mean, what a common lie to embrace is it not? And yet once again, brothers and sisters, it is just a lie. I was talking to a local pastor some time ago. And he told me that he had been reading an ABC report and document on social media usage and television usage. And he told me that in that document, ABC made it clear that for the average Australian, we spend one month a year on social media. And for the average Australian, we spend one month a year on television. I didn't really believe him. So I went home and I did my own research. I discovered it is true. (laughs) The average Australian spends between 60 minutes and 100 minutes a day on their phones on social media. It's an hour to an hour and a half every every day. Well, that's a month a year. And the average Australian then watches 60 minutes to 100 minutes a day on television. That's a month a year of awake time. And the average Australian Christian then says... I don't have time to read my Bible. Brothers and sisters, we have time. We just more often than not don't have the right priorities. We allow things to come in and be stuck into our jar that isn't an infinite amount of time that are not important. And we don't give any attention to the important. It's not that we don't have time. We just sadly don't have the right priorities. But listen, as Christians, I want to submit to you, as Christians who are called to be on mission for Jesus, we don't have the time not to be in his word. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we don't spend time with the Lord, we find ourselves anxious and troubled and distracted by many things. If we want to be fruitful and flourishing in our lives, we need to be in His Word, and more than that, our adversary is prowling around like a roaring lion and wants to take you out. Well, I don't have time to spend time with God, but I've enjoyed my sixty minutes a day on Facebook. Just on that last point to do with our adversary, Christopher Ash, in his wonderful commentary on Job, says this. It's very insightful. It says, when we wake up in the morning, what do we expect our day to be like? We may, of course, have expectations for a particular day, the prospect of a good party, or apprehension about a visit to the dentist. But in general, what do we expect from a normal day? For a Christian, what ought to be our idea of the normal Christian life? This is important because our idea of normality will govern whether we end up delighted or disappointed at the end of the day. So true. And then he says this, it stuck in my mind. Every morning, we ought to wake up and say to ourselves, there is a vicious, dark, and spiritual battle over me today, and Satan is very busy. I was struck when I heard that. But, my friends, as biblically defined, it's true. When that alarm goes off in the morning, it's not a, it's not an alarm that says, I know, let's spend a bit of time on social media. It is an alarm that goes off that is a call to war. A call to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus is not just a fight. It is a fight for your life. It is a fight for joy in the day and peace in the day and courage in the day and lack of anxiety in the day. It is a fight for your life. And so when that alarm goes off in the morning and you wake up, we need to say to ourselves, there is a vicious, dark enemy today that is looking to take me out. And it ain't happening today because I'm sitting at Jesus' feet. And as I resist the devil and sit at the Jesus' feet, Peter tells us it is then that he will flee from you. Because he knows I ain't getting anywhere today. Brothers and sisters, a fight to sit at the feet of Jesus, I submit to you as a fight for your life. It is a fight for joy. It is a fight for peace. It is a fight for faith. So any idea that I just don't have faith Time is an embracing of a lie of Satan who then stands over your life. <clears throat> Anxious, troubled, distracted, totally unaffected for Jesus. Not even sure you're a Christian anymore. <clears throat> You've had a good time on Facebook and you enjoyed your TV. Folks, don't be you. The final lie is this one. But it's just too late now. And this I find in my life is Satan's last ditch effort to try and stop you spending time with Jesus. All these lies are always designed by Satan to stop you sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the lie here usually comes in the form of, listen, you've been a Christian so long, you should know better. You can't tell people now you don't know how to read the Bible. You should know better. You can't just rock back up to God now. I mean, he imagine how disappointed with you he's going to be. He hasn't seen you for like two years. And you're just going to walk back into his life? I don't think so. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should know better. And then in shame, we decide, okay, I won't. All lies from Satan are scheming and carefully designed to stop you fitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listen. Here's the reality about Jesus. He is gracious and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this then is the universal command and invitation that he gives us. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The thing that I love about that invitation, it's not like a one-time hit. It's an invitation that arrives at your doorstep every single day. Come to me. And if it's been a while since you've come, and you're wondering, well, how, how will he react to me? Well, I think Jesus explains how God will react to us in Luke chapter 15, through the story of the prodigal son. Because when the son begins to return, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's what happens when we come back. He's not disappointed. He's just thrilled to see you again. He's thrilled that you're no longer being duped by the evil one and wants to welcome you back. You know, Kent Hughes in his wonderful commentary on Luke it says, Martha did not realize that at that critical time in Jesus' life, he would have preferred her company over her service, and that he regarded her fellowship with him as more important than serving him a meal. For her sense of priorities was skewed. Brothers and sisters, I hope this message, I really do, I hope it has helped us all to unskew our priorities today. The reason why it's so hard to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did is because it's not just you and Jesus involved. There is a shadowy foe influencing your life to seek to stop that. Don't believe the lies. Be watchful. Be alert. Don't be chipped. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that you so graciously speak to us in care and mercy. Jesus, I thank you that you are both gentle and lowly. Oh Lord, I thank you that I believe through the Spirit you have come after our souls this morning. You have freshly come after us to grab us, to pull us back to yourself, to stop our distractions. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, I pray that we've heard your voice today. And I pray the fruit would be a church and people that regularly sit at your feet. That don't find themselves then distracted and anxious and troubled by many things. Find themselves at joy and at peace. And in faith that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the preeminent one of all. Supreme over creation. Supreme over the government. Supreme over my life. Supreme of creation. Supreme of reconciliation. And then we would find peace in you. And fuel for the adventure ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen.